Welcome to Pharma Talk Radio. I'm Valerie Bowling. At the 2018 Pod Partnership Opportunities and Drug Delivery Conference, Dr. Justin Wright, Global Head of Innovation at Novartis, provided an industry keynote reviewing the current and future state of connected devices, all things digital, and incorporating wellness into the pharma model. I am pleased to share this session in a podcast format. Please note that the 2019 pod conference takes place in Boston on October 7th and 8th. Enjoy the podcast. It's great to be here and great to see so many faces that I've known for a long time now. I think a lot of people I've known for probably 10, 15 years. And actually, the journey or the story behind the presentation today actually goes back about six years ago where I was working on a connected auto injector at BD. I know Paul's in the audience and was part of this journey. But at the time, the group of us that were working on auto injectors decided, what if we connected the auto injector? And so, like any other med tech, we built it, we connected it, and we started to try to sell it. And a number of different partners, and actually a number of you I I see in the room, we actually talked to about our connected auto injector. And the question that we kept getting at the time was, that's great, you have a connected auto injector, but so what? And so that really started thinking around, you know, it's one thing to have a connected auto injector, but it's another thing to actually have a closed loop system, to actually have a a system that actually gives you information, actually leads to outcomes. And so that started the journey over the past six years or so, where I've really, you know, thought deeply about digital and connected devices and actually how do you build ones that actually matter and actually deliver value and provide insight to the patient, the different partners in the ecosystem, and actually eventually ladder up to value for the patient. And so I'm going to share some of the perspective that I've arrived at in terms of what this means and how we should be thinking about it as an industry. It's one thing to build a widget. It's actually another to build a connected system that actually delivers outcomes. And so a big part of this, as you'll see, is around the digital exhaust not probably a term that we've used for too many years at this point, but how do we actually leverage this notion of actually collecting all the digital and composite metrics that we have available to us. And so a little bit of perspective. And this one actually goes back. I found this patent probably around 2011 timeframe. Actually, 2002 is when it was filed. But I was actually researching glass strengthening technologies. It was at BD at the time. This was during a period of time when glass syringes were breaking in auto injectors. And so BD was investigating, and this is all public information. We were investigating how do you actually go about strengthening syringes, and there's a lot of ways to do that. And so I was investigating glass strengthening technologies, and I came across this one particular patent. And actually point out, if you can see here, that the primary inventor is Steve Jobs. And so I'm like, you know, why does Steve Jobs have a patent on glass strengthening, right? And so as it turns out, most of you have probably seen this staircase. This is a staircase that Apple has in a lot of their stores. Glass strengthening is technology not only used in this staircase, but also on your iPhone screens. And so I started asking myself, well, why is Steve Jobs, you know, submitting patents on staircases? And lo and behold, read the autobiography or the biography on Steve Jobs, and they talk about the, the experience created in the Apple store, how they prototyped that experience and actually built that experience. And so it was probably my, really my first introduction, certainly within MedTech and Pharma, and thinking about experience and how do we actually build experiences for customers and obviously for patients. And so it's actually, it's pretty fascinating to think about, you know, a patent like this at Apple and starting to prompt ourselves, what kind of patents do we have around experience? What are the types of technologies that we're actually investing in that create great experiences? And you'll see in a few minutes why this is so important. And then the other one that I'll highlight here, and, you know, it's one thing to have a beautiful store, but you also have to have an exceptional product. And so some of you may have seen this documentary on Netflix. It's called Jiro Dreams of Sushi. Jiro Ono's a sushi chef in Tokyo. Barack Obama's been to this restaurant, a number of really important people. But probably the most fascinating thing about this restaurant, it's in a subway system in Tokyo. And not only that, Jiro has actually achieved three Michelin stars. And so 
you know, another great example, well, it's, it's one thing to have an experience, you also have to have a great product. And so Jira has actually achieved this. And so these are actually two, I think, really important case studies to think about that, you know, create a great experience, but also have a great product. And the one thing I would highlight, you know, while Apple has that great experience, one of the failed products they have is Apple Maps, right? And so they own the phone, the chipset, they built the phone, the operating system, and attempted to launch a competitive map program, but it was a complete failure. And so something for us to consider as we build our own products. And so I do believe that our success in the industry will be predicated on achieving measurable outcomes around experience and designing and building those experiences and actually having new metrics that actually measure those. And you might think it might be very difficult to actually measure experience, but as it turns out, it's not so difficult. Probably not completely at the point where we can do this in a very holistic way around some of the things that we're doing within our industry. But if you look at customer service industry, there's a number of different equations that exist. And so we have to start thinking about how all these actual equations fit together and how do we actually measure experience. And so that's one of the things that we're going to have to think about as we move forward. And so a little bit of context, the notion of beyond the pill or the expression beyond the pill, I think has been around for about 10 years or so, probably a little bit before that with contraceptives. But I think to a great extent within large biotech and pharma, it's been a conversation. And I don't think we've actually achieved what I would consider ultimate success here. It's really been just a conversation. And you can see even you know, Joe Jimenez around 2012, which was our former CEO, actually describing what beyond the pill would actually mean. And Barbara just shared a few examples a minute ago where we're actually starting to see this emerge. But we're still a long way from this, where we actually have all of these people working together in a very collective way within an ecosystem and actually delivering experiences that ladder up to truly measurable outcomes. One of the success stories I would highlight, and I think this is the type of thing as an industry, especially large biotech and pharma, that we have to learn from and actually think about and actually gather a lot more insights from around this really small company called PillPack. And I'm just a show of hands, how many people have heard of PillPack in the room? Okay, that's much better than at the PDA last week or a couple weeks ago. But PillPack, so founded about five years ago here in Cambridge. Two guys met at MIT. They have a MIT hacking medicine every year. And this one particular individual, TJ, who I've known for several years now, was very frustrated by what he had seen as, his, as he grew up working with his father, who was a pharmacist, around polymedication regimens and just the complexity that patients and the, the frustration that patients go through when they have a very complex regimen of, of medications. So him and his partner founded PillPack. And, you know, and you'll see this illustration of what PillPack is, where it, essentially it's a package of pills. They've integrated together in a nice plastic pouch. But one of the things that you don't know until you actually engage the platform and actually start to get to know TJ and hear about the company and what he's actually doing, it's all about phenomenal customer experience. So on the back end of PillPack, and while you see this, you know, just nice tiny little package with pills, he'll also put vitamins in there, packaged consumables as well with the kit. But he has a phenomenal customer experience platform. And so what they'll actually do is actually work together with your different pharmacies, with your doctors, and pull all the prescriptions together, keep them filled, and keep them actually shipping to you on a continuous basis based upon your burn rate, your preferences, and all these types of things. And so, you know, lo and behold, just earlier this year, PillPack, which, you know, just five years ago was started as a small company here in Cambridge, was sold for a billion dollars to Amazon. And so it really prompts us to think, you know, a, you know, a really simple technology like this was all centered around phenomenal customer experience. And we can see what, what TJ's achieved here. Beyond the pill, and I'm glad Barbara led with some of the examples. There's a number of different examples here where we can see these things start to emerge. If we go back about five years ago, we thought it was just a conversation. Within biotech and pharma, we're starting to catch up a little bit, but there's a lot of other things that are out in front. You can see here on the bottom right, 
we actually have a book now, a textbook on digital exhaust. You know, and I'd venture to say that we've probably not, as an industry, read too many articles and certainly the textbook on what, a, what digital exhaust is all about. So we're going to spend a few minutes talking about that. The reality of, of where we are right now, we do know, I mean, and, and certainly there's, you know, we talked about the $3 billion adherence problem that we have. We see certainly within the U.S. as a percentage of our GDP, we're, you know, leaps and bounds above other country, uh, other health systems around the world. And we also are competing in a very different way than we ever have before. So I just mentioned Pillback, but, you know, certainly even within the exhibit hall here, there's a lot of very non-traditional competitors within our industry that are moving much faster than we are as a large industry. And so the question that I pose, we address this at Lilly, a number of you in the room that I worked with there, and certainly in Novartis, is how do you actually rapid prototype these connected product systems or product systems that actually deliver on experience? And how do you do that in really large organizations that are very siloed, very matrixed? And so this is one of the things that I've worked on for a number of years, and hopefully I'm really going to make some changes at Novartis that can allow us to do this. The one thing that I have found, I and mean, I've certainly I saw this at BD, saw this at Lilly, and certainly Novartis, if you go around and you actually start talking to the various groups that deliver our products, deliver our product systems, they will all agree that this is the customer value continuum that we're delivering against. In 1906 is when the FDA really got started, the Pure and Foods Drug Act. But since that time, we've seen a pretty significant evolution of what the customer value continuum is. So it started with safety and efficacy. And then over the years, we've talked about convenience, adherence, engagement, and then ultimately experience. And then ultimately, all these things ladder up to outcomes. And so no one disagrees with this, but one of the things that I have found is that we have a very difficult time coding the product requirements to the metrics that are used to measure these. And so it's one of the things that we have to really start thinking about, our product development systems and how we communicate within our organizations, even how we prototype and test these things. How do we actually actually code what we're doing to the customer value continuum? And so... It's not just a nice to have anymore. Earlier this year in June, the FDA published guidance, draft guidance around actually bringing the customer experience into our development process. And so if you haven't, I would highly encourage you to, to, you know, to take a look at this draft guidance. I think one of the compelling things that you'll see is that as you actually read this, some of the words that they're using, and I'll just go to the third bullet in the list here, is that we're expected to start collecting data on the experience that patients have with our product, right? The experience. And so we're really good at clinical endpoints. Human factors, obviously, has been around for a number of years, so we can collect data in this way. But thinking back to the Apple experience or even Jiro, as I mentioned, and the experience that people have within the context of this restaurant, have we actually gotten to a point where we're sophisticated enough to actually, in a very thoughtful, in a very measurable way, quantify the experience that patients are having with a full product experience from our respective companies? And so even for startups, right, and I mentioned TJ, that was at the forefront of his mind as he started PillPack. And I would also ask you or encourage you, is that, you know, is that really what you're thinking about as you start building you know, the devices and the different platforms that you have? And so one of the things I've also been thinking about, would also encourage you to think about, is actually how do you quantify? And so I showed one equation for actually trust you know, with, within customer service. But are there other metrics for which we can start to derive? You know, the one that I've actually thought about for a number of years is friction to value. So I can certainly, you know, ask a patient to engage, you know, give them different things to do, but that also introduces friction. Are they actually receiving value for that friction that we're introducing? And so how do we actually start to think about, you know, complex systems and the friction that they offer or that they introduce, but then the value that it returns to the, the patient, payer, and the provider? Transparency. I and mean, on the top, you'll see I have, you know, navigation tools or technologies we've had over the years. Yeah, I think back to when MapQuest actually became a product, right? And we'd print out the MapQuest directions, 
put them on the seat beside us, and we'd kind of look at them and try to drive all at the same time. Eventually, we got to Garmin, right, where that was sitting on our dash. But it was not closed loop, right? It was a map loaded in there. And I know a number of times as I was navigating around New Jersey, it would kind of take me off track, probably into areas that I didn't want to be in. But now, when we actually get to Waze, we have this closed loop system where we have constant feedback. And I would also offer or ask the question, you know, for those of you who use these products, which I'm sure we all do, how many of you actually look at the data that's being presented to you? Or do you just blindly trust the, the triangle, the arrow, or whatever it might be? You just blindly trust that as you actually you know, go where you need to go. And so I think you know, across here, we have these new metrics to consider. And then down at the bottom, this is the progression of the artificial pancreas over the years. And then the story I would tell here, and obviously, you, know, you think about you know, back in the 1950s, you could actually lay in a hospital bed, have a closed-loop system, but again, very high friction, right? You're laying in a hospital bed and you can't go anywhere. But then you move all the way to the far right, and this is at Damiano at Boston University, a dual-hormone artificial pancreas that's extremely effective, that's undergone clinical trials. And I was actually fortunate enough to meet with that a couple years ago, and one of the stories he told was that during clinical evaluation of this device, one of the things that he noticed for type 1 diabetics who traditionally were used to you know, having a CGM and checking it all the time to see where their blood sugar was at, he noticed a, a decay factor of patients actually looking at their CGM over about 24 to 48 hours. And so that, you know, every time they looked at this, they were actually looking at their CGM. But what happened is once they saw that the, you know, essentially their blood glucose was in control, varying control, they started to trust the system. And so that was actually a metric that he started to collect, is actually how do you measure trust in terms of people looking at their CGM. And so I think those are two really good examples of thinking about friction, trust, and transparency, and the value that it returns to people. And then finally, the other thing that I would mention over here, which is I think really important for us to consider as well, and I like the expression, just because you can build an app doesn't mean that you should. I think there's 300,000 health apps in the Apple Store at this point, but this idea of low-tech versus high-tech. And I can tell you, you know, there's certain days that I like a magazine in my hands, and other days I want to read on my iPad. And so are we actually, as we build our product systems and the ones that we think patients will enjoy and experience, are we actually considering that you know, there is this idea of low-tech versus high-tech and the, the, the preference that patients may have of one versus the other at any given moment in time? And so it's not a one-size-fits-all every single day. So that kind of brings us forward to this new model of wellness that we may want to consider. And I'll actually use a few analogies here from the automotive industry. If you look at, and this is actually the, the dashboard from a BMW M3, I believe, there's over 64 icons here that are linked to various, probably about 100 sensors around the car. And so I mean, if you look at the schematic up on the upper left, there's a tremendous amount of data, you know, and, th and this is just within a car. You start thinking about, you know, Boeing and what they do in terms of real-time data, uh, GE around the engine that they're actually using. How do we start to actually start to bridge that analogy into the physiology or anatomy of a human? And so traditionally, physicians are trained around the six major systems within the body. And so you have the skeletal, nervous system, circulatory, respiratory, digestive, and muscular system. And so these are the systems that we can interrogate. And so if we start to think about all the different sensors that we have access to in our daily lives, and so whether that's you know, looking and listening to our voice, looking at you know, the tapping of our thumbs, the gait that we have, heart rate variability, all these things, we can start to interrogate all these things. And even beyond that, if we actually start to look at the different outputs or the different things that we can tap into, it's quite significant. And even I take you to the very bottom, between fecal matter, urine, sweat, tears, and saliva, there's a number of different biomarkers that we can tap into. And so how do we think about, in a very continuous way, monitoring the body, creating a composite view of health that we maybe have never had access to, and then actually incorporating that into the systems that we're developing?
And so closed loop delivery has been around for a number of years. And I showed the artificial pancreas a few minutes ago. Typically, people think about closed loop therapy in terms of glucose and insulin. What I would submit to you is that we actually should be thinking about this for all diseases, right? And starting to think about what are the biomarkers, both biological and digital, that we can incorporate into our platforms. And so, you know, and this is a really good illustration. If you think back to the six systems of anatomy or physiology, there's a number of things that we can start to interrogate in ways that we've never had access to. And if you go back probably five years ago, we really didn't have access to this type of insight. But if you look at the number of companies that are actually moving forward in this space and actually not looking at discrete variables, but in some cases looking at 5, 10, even 15 different variables at one time, and creating, and Chris Kowalczyk, who's in the audience, actually we'll talk about this later today, creating composite views or composite variables of health that we've never seen before. And so certainly as device teams, as people building devices, as startups, certainly encourage you to think about the therapeutic areas for which you're targeting. And then on the back end, and it goes back to the initial story I proposed of you build a connected auto injector and you have dose confirmation, but so what? What's the value on the other side of actually having that dose confirmation? And what you're introducing friction, what value you're giving back to the patient? And so if we use the analogy back to the automobile, and this will be, might seem a bit cheesy, but you know, if we go down you know, this, everyone's been on this journey before in terms of purchasing an automobile and eventually you know, it goes to the scrapyard. But how does that actually correspond with how we proceed in life, right? And I think you know, if you think about a couple of different moments in, in our lives when we actually are working in a wellness manifold, certainly as we're children and we're receiving vaccines, as a woman becomes pregnant and goes through maternity care, these are times when we're very active and we're not just reacting, we're actually working in a very thoughtful and proactive wellness way. And so it really started us thinking about how do we actually take that even further and with the different ways to interrogate health, the different composite views that we have, how can we actually extrapolate this in a number of different ways? And so a couple different examples or case studies that, that have emerged over the years that kind of bring this to life. So CVS and Aetna, this merger here prompted us to really think about point-of-care diagnostics and remote monitoring. And if we think back a few minutes ago to all the different ways that we can interrogate health and the different systems of the body, there's a number of different biological markers that we can access. And so companies like Aetna and CVS, and they're actually starting to think about this, are they just treating or are they actually developing a wellness model of health that we maybe haven't seen before? And then another example, Medtronic and uh, Aetna as well developed a partnership earlier this year. And this one is completely outcomes-based. And this is a, you know, the very classical closed-loop system for treating type 1 diabetes. But one of the things you'll see in terms of goals and actually how they're measuring this, it's very different it's not just A1C like we typically see in partnerships or in systems like this. You can actually see that they're actually measuring patient satisfaction through member surveys, and they're actually looking at compliance in this, of the system in very different ways that we haven't seen before. And so for drug delivery, and this is another example, and this is more around gamification. And if we think back to, you know, and even Waze, for example, some, you know, I think early on Waze had a point system that would encourage you to use their platform. You can obviously customize the platform a number of different ways, but HealthPrize and West have had a partnership for a number of years, and West has an exclusivity with HealthPrize for subcutaneous delivery. And I think one of the things, and this is something we talked a lot about at BD, and obviously BD being a large injection company, if you will, one of the really fascinating things about drug delivery is that really intimate moment of actually when a needle pierces the skin or we actually take a medication or have a delivery of a medication into our bodies, right? You know, if I think about, you know, someone just interfacing with an app, I mean, it is a choice in terms of how they engage that app. 
But when we think about actually, you know, receiving medication or delivering medication, it's a very intimate moment that we have with our patients and with customers. And so I think Wes kind of understood this, and then even with Health Prize and thinking about, you know, while that's a very intimate moment, how do we actually create a value equation for patients or create an experience for patients which is not based upon or centered on the disease that they have or the administration of the drug that they're taking at that moment? And so I think this is a really good, you know, example of how we probably start to want to think about the experiences that we're creating. You know, certainly human factors and the form factor and, you know, the, the sharpness of the needle and all these different things that ladder up to the performance of the system, but the experience of the system and the things that go around it are a whole different thing for us to think about. And so that takes us to a much more holistic integrated model that we've mapped out and we've actually published this in digital biomarkers. So, you know, again, more of a thought exercise at this point, but a number of these different systems are starting to come alive. You'll see at the top here, we have predictive monitoring and biomarkers, but then we also have digital biomarkers. And I think this is one thing that, you know, if you go back probably five, 10 years ago, digital biomarkers, if you talk to most clinicians, not necessarily say what they would laugh about it, but they didn't take them seriously. Whereas in a lot of cases, and you saw the example of PEAR, which is something that we have a partnership between Sandos and Novartis and PEAR, it's a very different perspective now. And there's plenty of examples where even the Apple Watch is a class two medical device now where they're actually monitoring for falls. There's been people who have actually, you know, caught cardiovascular events with the Apple Watch. And so we do have the sophistication to actually start thinking about these things. And so if you look across, you know, the entire spectrum, go back to the car analogy, what are the different things that we can do with our product systems, our integrated product systems across this entire continuum that allow us to create value and actually be more predictive in the way we think about health and interrogate health and react to it far before we actually get to a chronic state? And so a couple things just to wrap up and give you additional perspective. This slide actually inspired by Ron Forster from a number of years ago. He focused on the, the far left here in terms of the progression of convenience. And so this was the convenience value access that we had for a number of years. You know, I would venture to say, and I, I use the word widgets from time to time, these are all widgets. And some of them are connected, if you will, but not in the way that we're actually connecting devices today. And so, you know, I have 1900, so safety and efficacy is what, you know, the original value access that we operated from, you know, in terms of outcomes, you know, and then over the course of, you know, 100 years, we went from a violent syringe, you know, to much more sophisticated devices that made medication, you know, more convenient and allowed us to address adherence in a, in a very different way. But then I think it was probably, Paul, was it 2013, WellDoc? It was around that time. I think WellDoc started to emerge as a software tool where we actually really started to see that software as, as prescribed medication could actually have an impact. And so since that time, you know, we've seen a number of different applications and, and certainly with Betabionics and what Medtronic's doing, we have these, you know, integrated product systems now that deliver outcomes in a very different way. And obviously we can't excuse what's over here, but we have all these other things now that we can actually leverage, you know, to, to actually deliver on all these different ways to, to think about value. And so the last slide that I'll wrap up on, and this goes back to the original, one of the original problems that we have within our industry is we believe in this value continuum if we and we have to believe that we actually are creating experience for our patients, then the large organizations that we have, how do we actually bring this all together in a really thoughtful way? And so one of the things at Novartis that I had the fortune to do is actually work across a lot of different groups and actually think about this. And so one of the things we've been thinking about is, is what we'll call a new operating system to think about experiences, where we actually have people far left who are actually building the product systems and thinking about the features of the product systems, uh, working with the people over here who are actually thinking about value and outcomes. And then actually, how do you have a system that, again, like I mentioned earlier, the features of your system are actually coded to the metrics of, of value that we're interested in. 
And so this is something that we're working on quite aggressively um, and actually thinking about this for every single drug product in our portfolio. How do we think about this integrated product system against these value attributes? And so with that, I'll say thank you. We hope you enjoyed this podcast from Pod 2018. The Pod 2019 event takes place October 7th and 8th in Boston. For more information, visit theconferenceforum.org.